In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We are in the middle of this sermon and teaching series on Acts, and I have to admit that I'm a nerd about the Bible, and I have loved this series. It is so much more fun for me to preach the same kind of idea Sunday after Sunday, and I hope you all have enjoyed this too. And if you've not gone home and read Acts of the Apostles yet, then I commend that to you at some point in the next week or so. Sit down, read Acts of the Apostles. It's an excellent book, a great story, and you can sit down cover to cover in about an hour and get this great arc of what the church was doing in the first century. Now, as we continue this series, let's connect it to what we've already heard. A few weeks ago, we heard the story of Jesus' resurrection appearance on the road to Emmaus shocking the disciples and giving them hope for what would come in the future. Then we see the church begin to form, and that formation of the church meant that people started sharing all their possessions together, sharing everything they owned in order for the spread of the gospel news. And then after that, last week, we heard the story of Stephen. See, the apostles, they couldn't do it on their own, and as the church grew, they needed helpers. And so they tapped these seven people to be what we call the deacons of the church, the first deacons, to go out and spread this news with them. And we heard Stephen mentioned as the first among those seven, and Stephen immediately goes out and starts teaching, and he's really just too good. And Stephen gets called in front of the high priests, and they condemn his heresy in following Jesus. His heresy sends him outside the city, and he is stoned, and he becomes the first Christian martyr. And today we hear the story of Philip. Philip was the second of those seven mentioned in the list last week. Stephen gets sort of top billing for a week. And then we flip to Philip. And Philip becomes perhaps the first evangelist of Jesus's message who wasn't one of Jesus's apostles. And Philip has been pretty successful. Leading up to the story that we just heard today, Philip had been all throughout Samaria teaching about Jesus and bringing people into faith in Jesus. But if we remember, Samaritans were people who were sort of the other kind of Jew. Samaria was a land just outside of Israel proper where people who followed Judaism sort of as an ethnic tradition, not perhaps the legal tradition of the temple, lived. And so Philip was really sort of teaching and preaching to people who understood the Jewish rootedness of Messiah. But just after he does that, the Spirit nudges him, and Philip responds to that nudge. Now, when I was a junior in college, I had the chance to study in Central Europe. And my friends and I would travel around, and we would do lots of visiting of different cities, and we had planned a trip to Munich. Munich, fantastic. And when we showed up to Munich, we had an order of how we were going to visit all different kinds of places in the city that first day. And there was a famous church, the Fraunkirche, which is the Cathedral of Our Lady in Munich, that is probably the most famous church in that city. And we were going to visit that church in the afternoon. But something that morning just kind of tugged at me, and I decided I wanted to visit first, which threw my friends into a tizzy because they had all everything planned out. And I said, I don't care. I really want to go to this church first. And it might sound normal that a priest would want to go see a church, but at that time, I was not this. And so it was not 
normal that I might want to see the church first. But we did. And as we had eaten breakfast and we were walking across the street approaching this church, out the front doors of the church came one of my best friends from high school. And she came running down the steps, yelling my name, and we hugged there on the bottom of the steps. And it was one of those very, very unique coincidences. Had we been just two minutes later, she would have been out the door and down the street and we would have never crossed paths. Or had I not decided that I really wanted to see that church that morning, we would have never seen each other. Those nudges that we get, those little moments when we feel like we should do that thing and then we do it, often create an opportunity for us to do something very special. And in essence, that's what's happening with Philip in this moment in the Acts story. He gets this nudge from God, this angelic voice of the Spirit that calls him to go down out of Samaria to a road going from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this is not near Samaria. So Philip had to really leave what he was doing and go on this road that was going toward Gaza. And if we know our Israel geography, Gaza is the southwest. Am I right? <clears throat> it is. It's the southwest corner of Israel. And so Philip had to make this trip down to this road that goes to Gaza. And when he does, he comes upon this caravan from Ethiopia. And this caravan from Ethiopia has in it a royal leader. This man, this eunuch, and as an aside, a eunuch is a castrated man. And that happened because castrated men were safe for royal women to be around. And we won't go any farther. So this man, you can explain that to your children later. This man was one of the royal officials from Ethiopia. And the kingdom of Ethiopia at this time was extremely strong. They were wonderful merchants. They were world players. And this man would have likely been sent to Jerusalem to represent the queen. But as Philip was soon to find, this man from Ethiopia was also very interested in the Jewish tradition. Now let's unpack that real fast. It is very likely that this Ethiopian eunuch, this leader of the nation of Ethiopia, would be very well educated, would have been very well traveled, and it is not unlikely that people from all over that region would have been attracted to Judaism, attracted to the calm thoughtfulness of that monotheistic tradition. And this Ethiopian eunuch was likely exposed to lots of different religious traditions and something about Judaism was tugging at him. And as Philip approaches his caravan, he finds that this eunuch is reading Isaiah. He's reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. We heard that read in today's Acts lesson, but just before the verses we read today in Acts, we hear some that are extremely familiar to us. Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We know those verses from Isaiah. We link those verses from Isaiah to our own Christian tradition. But when the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, I don't know what this means because no one has guided me. Philip has the opportunity, that spirit nudge, to begin to unpack the whole story of Christ connected to everything that God had been doing from the beginning of time through the Israelite people. 
This is a unique moment. You see, for us, 2,000 years later, we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, presuming that, of course, the prophets were simply pointing to Jesus over and over and over again, but really, the prophets were living in a specific place, in a specific time, and revealing truth about God's purpose in the world, and we now understand that truth to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But at the time, that connection would not have been made explicit. And particularly for someone outside the tradition, they would have not been able to make that jump to the Messiah identity that we give to Jesus. But Philip does. And Philip in this moment begins to tell the whole story of what God has been doing that pointed all the time to Jesus. And then something amazing happens something we should not pass over. This Ethiopian official, hearing the words of Isaiah, hearing Philip connect those words to the person of Jesus, receives that story not just as something interesting or intriguing or intellectually stimulating, but as a story that is meant for him. This is a huge pivot. Up until this point, Jesus had been understood as the Jewish Messiah. And as the church began to grow, the opportunity presented itself right here for the first time to bring in someone who was from outside that tradition, to wrap the arms of love and grace around this man who was nothing like the Jews. And Philip does just that. And the Ethiopian as he hears this story, looks out of his chariot and sees water. He knows that Jesus is for him too, and he wants to be a part of that journey. And so he says, hey, there's water. Can I be baptized? And although it may seem very obvious to us that Philip would say yes, that is not a given. Philip comes out of a tradition where being Jewish was what was necessary to understanding Jesus until now. And that Ethiopian becomes the first non-Jew baptized because of his desire to follow Jesus. This is an amazing moment, a moment that shifts everything that that church began to do into something much bigger. Jesus' story is now available to everyone and that includes probably almost every person in this room. Most of us will not root our family culture in Judaism, and yet we have come to be followers of Christ because we know the story is for us too. I think this story begs us to ask the question, who's welcome in God's kingdom? And how are we called? to reach out to those who may feel like they are on the outside. You see, it's easy for us to turn to each other in this room, to share the faith that we have in Jesus, to know that we align at least mostly in following Christ. But out there, there are a lot of people who don't think the story is for them. And it seems obvious that they would, Except perhaps nobody has approached their caravan. Nobody has come beside them and offered to help them understand 
that the story is for them too. That perhaps is our sacred call, our most sacred call. And there are opportunities all the time, nudges that we feel all the time that are almost never convenient, that are almost never what we want to do, and yet the Spirit is needling us and bumping us and nudging us constantly into opportunities where we can begin to tell people not just the story of Jesus in some esoteric way, but to tell them that God loves them, loves them as they are, and that God wants them. They are wanted, they are seen, and they are wanted, and they can be included in this amazing story of salvation. Perhaps today is the day that the Spirit will nudge you again because the Spirit perseveres. The Spirit will not leave you alone. And even though we can be pigheaded and ignore it, she will not stop bugging us. And so perhaps today is one of those days where you will respond, where you'll be given an opportunity to involve everyone, to wrap your arms around someone who would not expect to be included. Perhaps today is the day that you can show someone grace instead of judgment. Perhaps today is the day that you can be patient in the face of frustration. Perhaps today is the day that the love of Christ can be extended into the hurt and the heartbreak of the world around you. The Spirit calls each and every one of us, and I pray today that you will respond to the Spirit's call because you can be better than you think you can be. You can be more loving than you often are, and we can all be more faithful than we have ever been. When we hold tight to one another, and with God's help, we might just surprise ourselves, and when the Spirit speaks to us and we choose to listen, that's when we will truly become the followers of Christ. Amen.